Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Jen's here. Just wanted to let you know we had another busy week with work and school and life, and so we were unable to record a Friday episode. So we're throwing it back to our very first Christians of History episode on St. Augustine of Hippo. We hope that you enjoy. We will be back next Tuesday with fresh content and next Friday with fresh content as well. We appreciate your understanding. We hope you're doing well, and we'll see you again soon. Welcome yet again to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Lucas Stock, and with me, as always, is... Jens Nelson. This, as you may know by now, is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Um, Thank you, and we hope that you will join us as we explore, discuss, and grow as followers of Christ. Um, On today's Christians of History episode, we're going to be talking about St. Augustine or Augustine, I guess we'll find out, <laughs> of Hippo. Um, so yes, as you may have heard in our little announcement trailer last week, uh, this is a new series we're doing entitled Christians of History, where we're going to take um, shorter episodes and dive into important figures, theologians, events, saints uh, throughout history, um, and just sort of get a bit of an introduction to these different figures um this is not in any way replacing our normal stream of content these are not bonus episodes we are expanding our output by adding on fridays a regular christians of history episode so you can expect normal more topical episodes releasing at the normal tuesday time as well as occasional bonus episodes if there's something that we feel is worth talking about um, that we didn't talk about in a normal episode. And then on Fridays, uh, a regularly scheduled Christians of History episode. So I think that about covers the housekeeping. Yeah. Um, So on that note, let's get right into St. Augustine of Hippo. There you go. All right, so... Our heart is restless until it rests in you. It's one of the ways they they translate um, one of Augustine's most famous lines, I guess. And it's with these words that he describes the fundamental spiritual longing, which many try to satisfy in inferior ways, but which God alone can truly satisfy. And if we're going to talk about Augustine of Hippo, uh, his life can really be summed up with two words. Uh, at least prior to his conversion, maybe. And and those words are restless wanderer. Uh, From an early age, he was painfully aware of his alienation from God due to sin. And it was precisely this alienation that caused him to search for answers in all the wrong places during the early years of his life. So uh, Augustine was born in 354 AD in what is modern day Algeria. So in Africa. His mother was a devout Christian woman, while his father was a pagan, uh, only becoming a Christian on his deathbed. So to Augustine, his his mother was really a central figure in his life, while his father was sort of a stranger to him. And uh, a lot of a lot of what we know about Augustine, you know, can be learned from um, his book uh, called the Confessions. Basically, it's it's a book of him uh, writing about his life. It's sort of you know autobiographical. There's also some um, some theology and teaching in there. Um, but but growing up, 
Augustine and his family were were heavily Romanized, and this meant that Augustine and the rest of his family uh, found themselves learning Latin in school, becoming familiar with Latin literature and basically other pagan beliefs and practices. So living in Africa, uh, becoming heavily Romanized. So his first insight into the nature of sin occurred when he and a number of his friends stole fruit that they actually didn't want from a neighborhood garden. So he tells the story again in the Confessions. He says that he remembers that he did not steal the fruit because he was hungry, but because it was simply not permitted. His very nature, he says, was flawed, saying it was foul and I loved it. I loved my own error, not that for which I erred, but the error itself. Again, it's not so much that he even desired the fruit, but the act of stealing. Uh, so from this incident, he later concluded the human person is naturally inclined to sin and in need of the grace of Christ. So wow. as, I'm, as I'm sort of going through, you know, this, this early introduction and in biography of his life, I'm sort of just recounting some of the things um, that he himself tells us. Um, and, mm. you know, one of those things is as he's, you know, in his later life, as he looks back upon his youth, he's sort of remembering like, man, I went to my neighborhood, my, you know, my neighbor, my neighbor's garden and I stole fruit, not because I wanted it, but because I liked the act of stealing. Um, wow. What a punk. Right. And perhaps, you know, there aren't many of us who would think of our sin in that way. Um, but he's really trying to to hone in on something here. So we're, I'm going to continue by saying his sin continued with him into early adult life, uh, wanting nothing to do with Christ or Christianity, the, you know, the faith that his mother tried to raise him in. He embarked upon his first real attempt to satisfy the restlessness in his soul through sexual gratification. His mother had warned him about the dangers of lust and sexual immorality, but he cared more about satisfying the desires of the flesh. So this, too, soon proved to be a form of slavery to Augustine. As a young man, he decided uh, to look to um, human philosophy to sort of alleviate the guilt and to provide him with you know, meaning in life. So even as he's living in you know, gratifying the sexual desires of his life, uh, he still felt that restlessness. He still felt that guilt. And so he looked to human philosophy to sort of help um, alleviate that guilt. And so as life progressed, Augustine began living with the woman that he, you know, found himself sleeping with, and she soon bore him a child as well. However, the two never married. Uh, in 386 AD, Augustine found himself in Milan. He was experiencing great success at his job, and all of his prospects were bright, but again, on the inside, he was torn with anxiety and he was ridden with guilt. He was, as he describes it, horribly unhappy. Uh, in the face of such spiritual restlessness, Augustine turned to the one person in Milan who seemed to possess an abiding peace, the great Bishop Ambrose, whose preaching would soon light a fire in Augustine's soul. So Ambrose was about 15 years older than Augustine, and he was a well-respected statesman before he became the bishop in Milan. Ambrose was famous for his devotion to the Bible and for his uh, powerful preaching. So these were two important factors in Augustine's conversion. One of the main reasons, though, that he initially uh, rejected Christianity, despite being raised under his mother's constant evangelism, was his intellectual disdain for the scriptures. He was trained to appreciate the eloquence, the stylistic perfection, uh, you know, of people like Cicero. And he found that the, the Latin translations of the Bible were grammatically inferior and full of crude stories so basically like as a kid augustine was like man i, I love all this high class latin I, I i don't like that vulgar bible over there 
Um, and so in his pride, he rejected the scriptures. But now in Milan, he began to attend Ambrose's church services. But here's the funny thing. He wasn't going to um, be edified by the content. He wasn't going to, you know, even become a Christian. He just wanted to pick up on some of the rhetorical techniques from the famous preacher. He's like, man, people talk about Ambrose. He's really, you know, a powerful speaker. I want to go pick up on some of his techniques. But nevertheless, the word of God began to do its work in his heart. And it was through Ambrose's powerful preaching that Augustine began to realize the truth of Christianity. Um, Again, he still had a hard time getting over his most powerful character flaw, which was his attachment to his most carnal appetites. He was well aware of the high standards of holiness required for the follower of Christ. Um, But when he looked at himself in the mirror, he perceived himself as, as he says, twisted and filthy, covered in sores and ulcers. And as I looked, I was appalled, but there was no way of escaping from myself. So greatly disturbed in his soul at his own um, inner wickedness, at his filth, his sinfulness, his depravity, he fled outside one day to a quiet garden. He was torn in two, as he describes it. On the one hand, he knew exactly what he wanted to do. But on the other, his old loves, the sins of his flesh, called out to him saying, Are you going to get rid of us? From this moment, we shall never be with you again. And as he struggled with the high cost of discipleship, he considered the great saints of the past who made costly sacrifices. He thought, are you, so he's you know sort of speaking to himself, are you incapable of doing what these men and women have done? Do you think them uh, capable of achieving this by their own resources and not by the Lord their God? And it was at this that he burst into tears and he kept repeating, how long shall I go on saying tomorrow, tomorrow? And that was sort of like, you know, I think a lot of us live that way, especially if we're not Christians. We sort of had this thought of like, well, later in life, I'll decide to, you know, devote my life to the Lord after I've lived it up, after I've, you know, YOLO'd as much as I can YOLO. Um, you know, so he's like, how long shall I keep on going saying tomorrow, tomorrow? Why not now? Why not make an end of my ugly sins at this very moment? And so as he sobbed in agony in this garden, um, sort of, you know, I'm cu- I'm curious about this when he tells this story, like mm-hmm. what this what this part is. But he says that he heard a child. He said he heard a child's voice tell him, "Pick up and read." So imagine like being in a garden. You're like perplexed at like your inner wickedness. You're you're like wrestling between faith and doubt, and like you hear a child like in the background say, "Pick up and read." Like <laughs> I just like. I want to know what that moment was like, but whatever happened, he was perplexed and he rushed over to his book of Paul's letters and he read the first words upon which his eyes fell. Those words were not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality um, and sensuality, not in quarreling and in jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And that's Romans 13, 13 through 14, which interestingly I didn't know this, but um, when I, my first tattoo ever was Romans thirteen fourteen, and it's literally just like huh. a citation written on my wrist. And for me, like in my own Christian life, like I I read this verse and I was like, man, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Like as someone who who too wrestled with sin, wrestled with um, immorality, wrestled with um, you know all all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. To, to sort of, you know, this was sort of, I, I don't like saying it this way, but it was like at the time, like my life verse. Um, and it, it's interesting that it's right, sort of the same. It was 
Apparently it was St. Augustine's life first too. So <laughs> there you're you go. in good company. I am in good company. So uh, <laughs> basically he says that was all that he needed to hear. At that moment, Augustine gave his life to Christ. Finally, he had found the rest that he had long searched for. So again, Augustine had been a, a restless wanderer going through the dark valleys of, of sexual immorality and worldly pleasures, worldly pursuits. Um, these things offered him no lasting satisfaction, no lasting hope. It was in Christ alone that Augustine finally found the rest in the peace that he had long been searching for. And so after his conversion, he dropped his career aspirations in, uh, in philosophy and instead pursued becoming a priest. Uh, Augustine was once described as a man who ate sparingly, worked tirelessly, despised gossip, shunned the temptations of the flesh, and exercised prudence in financial stewardship. Uh, he became a well-known pastor, theologian, um, and today Augustine is celebrated by East and West by almost all you know, sects of Christianity as, you know, one of the founders, I guess not founders, but like one of the fathers uh, of the faith. And he's, you know, he's one of the most important people in church history for sure. And, and certainly, again, certainly in the West. For sure. Um, yeah. Not, not the East doesn't look down on him. I believe he's canonized in the Eastern churches as well. But, but I mean, I, I once read that it, the Reformation described as a debate within the mind of Augustine. Yeah. Because keep in mind, like Luther was an Augustinian monk yep. a, a, as a Roman Catholic. Like, like, you know, it's not like Augustine's theology drops off until the Reformation and then it picks back up, but rather there were, there were these, you know, these, these tensions within Augustinian theology, you could say that, that were at the center of a lot of the justification debates in the Reformation, which is, it's crazy to think just how influential one person what really has been and really was on um, certainly, you know, the Western, the Western part of the church, um, not to say that he, but just because he wrote in Latin, you know, right. not Greek, like just, it, it's not like there was any like bad blood between Augustine and the East or whatever, but just, um, um, yeah. And what, you know, before we move on to sort of a little bit getting into sort of what he what he sort of produced you know and maybe maybe that'll help illuminate why he was so influential or, or at least what was so influential like do you know we know a little bit about but you know it's not like he was just some raging atheist you know hedonist type guy right because he also was but prior to becoming a christian he in addition to his his carnal you know pleasures that he was so fond of he was also um a member of a different religion, I, I think you could you could say it's certainly a different philosophy called um, Manichaeism, which was I don't know a lot about it. I don't know maybe if you can fill in blanks if you happen to know more, but like it was a very dualistic philosophy of you know similar to Gnosticism. I think it, for those who have who have heard or read about that, where um, there was a strong division between like good and evil with good being like the spiritual um, and evil being like the physical world. Um, I don't believe that Manichaeism was like directly associated with any form of like Christianity or Gnosticism. Um, I, I think, think it was, it was like a worldly of, philosophy sort of. Yeah. Um, but it was, it, I think it's also like interesting to keep in mind that also didn't give him the rest that he was looking for. You know, like he, he was, it, it, I kind of think of Ecclesi like the whole idea of 
being restless until finding our rest in, in God. And then also looking at, you know, listening through this recounting of his sort of journey. I, I think of Ecclesiastes and really just the the attempts to sort of be satisfied in his philosophy, in his rhetoric, in his speaking abilities, in his literature, in his um, own pleasures, and and how all of those things ultimately ended up being vain until he picked up and and read and and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's a really um, interesting, you know, interesting to see such a significant figure go through such a relatable sort of um, just seeking and seeking and seeking and not being able to find it until he finds it in Christ. Right. And I think it's, I mean, it's a great example of, I guess, what God can do in the heart of a sinful, restless, hopeless person, someone who, you know, spends their life. It's sort of like that C.S. Lewis um, quote. I I don't know exactly, but he says, you know, um, speaking of pleasure and stuff, like we don't realize the the infinite pleasure that is offered to us. Like we'd rather go on making mud mud pies, like in the slums, um, because we don't understand what it means that there's the offer of a holiday at sea. And it's, you know, we're people who are seeking pleasure. We're not, even as Christians, like we can, we can find joy and pleasure in Christ, um, which is the, the only true source of those things. And I think Augustine's life is a, a testament to that idea that like you can play in the pigsty all you want and think that that's your greatest joy, but there is, un, you know, unexpressible joy waiting beyond the, the bounds of your, of your sin. Um, but yeah, so maybe we'll, we'll transition here to, you know, some works, some books, some, you know, if you're wanting to check out Augustine, if you want to kind of know, um, you know, some of the things that he talked about as a theologian, uh, he dealt with with many topics, but um, specifically predestination, original sin, creation, just war. Uh, I'm pretty sure Augustine is actually the one who um, coined that term, just war. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just to name a few. So this is interesting. So uh, prior to 396, he believed that predestination was based on God's foreknowledge of whether individuals would believe in Christ. Um, So basically, God's grace was a reward for human assent. And so if you listen to our, you know, conversation about um, Tulip, about the Reformed Doctrines of Grace, he was someone who would have thought that like God looked down the tunnel of time. He looked throughout history and saw that like, someone would assent, a human would assent to a a plane of repentance and um, faith and that God is basically rewarding that with election, so to speak. Um, But later, in response to Pelagius, Augustine said that the sin of pride consists in assuming that we are the ones who choose God or that God chooses us in his foreknowledge because of something worthy in us. So eventually later in life, he came to sort of hold to what is, I guess, like the reformed view of election and predestination today. That's what we call it. But for Augustine, it was just like, this is what the Bible teaches. Um, so he he basically argued that God God's grace causes individual acts of faith, that um, it's God's grace working in and through us that we, um, you know, dead dead people are born again. Um, Augustine also upheld the early Christian understanding of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Thought you might find that interesting. Um, Well, everybody did, so. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And most Uh, still do. (laughs) Right. Um, And against the Pelagians, he strongly stressed the importance of infant baptism. Uh, Let's see. 
um, about the question of whether baptism is an absolute necessity for salvation. He, uh, however, he appears to, uh, I guess, have refined his beliefs during his lifetime, which has caused some confusion about his actual position. Um, but he said in one of his sermons that only the baptized are saved. So like, but what he, but what he means by that is like, it, it's almost like a believer's type baptism as opposed to like, just because you're baptized, it makes you saved. Um, yeah, I guess this was a belief shared by many early Christians in the church, but um, let's see. In a passage in a book called City of God, uh, concerning the apocalypse, it seems like he may indicate that he did believe in the exception for children born to Christian parents. So if we're talking about um, you know salvation he in, in, as it pertains to you know baptism as well, um, he might have said at some point that like if you're a family, you're baptized, you baptize your children, even if those children can't like profess a faith in Christ, that maybe there's an exception made. So I don't know. Those are just some like interesting doctrines and theology that he um, sort of thought about, helped formulate. Um, he was a big one in the the doctrine of original sin and what that means that you know Adam's sin, the the sin of the fall, is imputed, um, or I'm sorry, imputed um, upon humanity, stuff like that. So um basically if we're, if we're going to talk about works that you can read where you sort of get an idea of you know all this stuff you know a, a great place to start is the confessions um i've actually read some of it not all of it um depending on your translation maybe it's a little dense to read but um confessions is a really good good place because it's autobiographical he talks about his life his theology um another good book is city of god um you know sort of coming out of rome and the the roman empire um, he imagines the city of God as not, you know, some earthly place, but as, um, you know, the people of God uh, represented on earth that will one day be consummated in heaven. Um, another good example is uh, of a book to read is on the Trinity. So those are three books. Um, you know, maybe another uh, helpful thing that, that Augustine can be attributed to is his sort of I don't know, expression of, of free will and um, God's sovereignty. I don't really know what umbrella this falls under, but basically if we, we would say that the pre-fall man, so before the fall, man was able to sin, but man was also able not to sin. Uh, whereas opposed to the post-fall man, the post, so uh, right now humanity is able to sin and they are unable to not sin. Whereas the reborn man, someone who has been born again, is able to sin, and by the help of the Spirit, able to not sin, able to not gratify the desires of the flesh. Um, and the glorified man, so in heaven one day, we are um, able to not sin and unable to sin. So it, he he had obviously his Latin way of like saying those words. These are like the English representations. Probably sounded better, I, w- I would guess. <laughs> right? It's like passe peccare, passe non peccare, non passe peccare. And I don't even know. It, it, it just gets confusing because it's Latin. Um, but this is him basically saying like, do we have free will? Uh, well, before the fall, man's will was free because they were able to sin and not sin. Uh, but after the fall, man is only able to sin. Um, so we are bound, our wills are bound to sin and thus not free. Um, and so that's, you know, maybe a, a future episode we'll talk about free will, but that's in a nutshell, the life of Augustine of Hippo. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I have to, you know, confessions of my own is um i've read very very little of augustine um but he's definitely on my list and i i think that 
from what I know of him. Um, I think that Confessions, City of God, and On the Trinity are, are all really great places. I mean, he wrote a lot. Like, I remember in the library um, at Moody seeing, like, like the works of Augustine. It was, it was just, it took up, like, a whole, sh- a whole shelf. Um, <laughs> and and uh, so definitely a lot there. Some of it, I'm sure, is more accessible than others. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think that... Um, incredibly influential, incredibly helpful on, on a number of different topics, um, especially for um, us, you know, being Protestants that come out of the tradition that he really helped shape. I, I think that um, being familiar with, with being more, you know, always more familiar with, with um, our heritage is, is helpful. And I think that Augustine is really um, a fantastic place to start. So thank you for um, you know, sort of walking us, walking us through his life. I think that, you know, that was, I learned a, a lot that I didn't realize about him. And um, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm inspired to go try and read City of God. I don't know how well that'll go, but I'm inspired. <laughs> I've been inspired all week to try to pick up confessions and read through it too. So <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for sharing Jens. And, and thank you so much for listening to this Christians of history episode of the doxology podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, as always, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast, and you can email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com for any feedback, questions, um, people you'd like to suggest for a future episode of Christians of History. Yes. Um, we're Please. definitely looking for um, a wide variety uh, of people. We don't just want we don't just want pastors, we don't just want people from uh, the Western Church, the Eastern, you know, we we want we want old, new, young. Well, unknown wait. you know <laughs> unknown famous not the big yeah. names yeah we want we want as as to throughout this series talk about as wide a variety of people as we can so we, as always we'd love to hear from you and once again thank you so much for spending your time with us and listening to today's episode thanks guys and remember your heart is restless until it finds rest in christ amen